We're in 1 John. Uh, go to your table of contents, if you will, there. Go to the front of your Bible. That's where you find all the books of the Bible and find the book of 1 John. That's our 1 John, as the Brits like to say. Uh, 1171 in my Bible. <clears throat> 1171. And we're looking in this section here. Uh, uh, Dick uh, Greenlee uh, got us started last week after we did some kind of introductory material. Uh, and as I want to remind you <clears throat> that the thesis of First John, or the theme, or the thing as I understand it, we see is uh, the matter of First John is found in First John five thirteen. These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. These things are written. <clears throat> now again, the the uh, the uh, pronoun these I'm su we're suggesting uh, is the book. These things, right at the end, John has this tendency, as I told you before, in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 20, John says, now these things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and in believing have life in his name. So, so he has this kind of feature in his work that he always tells his reader, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm doing this. So you don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. And so <clears throat> how is it that we can live and how is it that we can experience uh, this life that en enables us to have confidence that we have eternal life? I'm just trying to remind you. Remember, if confidence were automatic for a Christian, why would John write it? Really, I mean, if confidence were automatic, why would John say these things I've written so that you can have confidence that you have eternal life? So I think he's, again, attempting to do two things here. One is he's attempting to let you know what his theme is. So that as you read through the book, as we study it, we know what he's up to. Second thing, I think it's a pastoral matter. I think it's a pastoral matter. He knows there are people who have this tendency to not have great confidence, to not have confidence that they have eternal life. We've talked about this at different times, but people that are affected by shame or people who are melancholic by nature, who are fairly self-critical of themselves all the time, have a difficult time with confidence. Uh, and so John is both attempting to give his thesis statement, this is why I've written it, but I think there's also a pastoral dimension here to say, I want you to know that you can have confidence that you have eternal life. So that, that's how we've kind of dug in here. So let's go to 1 John 1, and we'll look at verses 5 through 2, 2. I'm going to pick up there where Dick started last week. Just give us the context here, and that's this. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say, now, <clears throat> let me draw your attention. Uh, notice here, in, I'm reading the American Standard, the real Bible, and... Uh, <clears throat> All those other ones you have out there, you'll just have to stumble along. <clears throat> but I think ESV does this too. Uh, in verse 6, just, just, you might want to do it. Just to underline, if we say, verse 8, if we say, verse 10, if we say. Now, <clears throat> you'll notice here, John is replicating this idea of saying, <clears throat> okay, if you say this, then this. And sort of an antidote, <clears throat> if you will, to what people might be saying or alleging. We'll just, we'll just kind of be, pay attention to that as we work through it. So if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, 
We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, notice the word all repeating, all, all sin, all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So we're going to look at this here, and I think that what, in my estimation, what's occurring here is this. Uh, John is confronting to clarify He's, he, he says, if, if we say, he's not going to let that go. And then he says, okay, let me give you the answer to that. He, he's confronting, if you will, to clarify. Now, you know, I, I'm thinking about this as I'm <clears throat> working here. Uh, I'm going to start my 28th fall semester a week from tomorrow. So sad. <laughs> I was telling the guys my Friday morning Bible study, I've only had 13 weeks of vacation. And <laughs> they say, don't say that. They want to strangle me. <clears throat> but uh, it, when I, as I start this, 28th semester, uh, it's hard to believe. I used to have darker hair <clears throat> and uh, lots more patience. And, uh, but over the years, <clears throat> uh, I've realized there are some things that I'm having to confront uh, that I never did when I first started teaching. Uh, <clears throat> some of the things I have to confront to help clarify things for students is their expectation is the expectations of students. Students now expect to have 24-7 access to me. If I ever find out a student gives my cell phone number out, I'm throwing them out of school. (laughs) But it's really interesting. I I sort of have to confront that expectation. Um, I I have to now confront, like I never did before, uh, the assessment reports that we now have to turn in. I used to teach as a professor. Now I teach and have meetings and have assessment reports and write-up reports and send them to the Department of Education. They send it back and want clarification. And I just have to kind of confront that. Pam and all you guys that are in public education, you know what I'm talking about. It's not a bad thing, but I have to sort of confront. One of the things that's been interesting for me, and you probably know this, is having to confront, I love this word, the ubiquitous, that's a good word, isn't it? I I like to go look it up. Go look it up. You need to learn it. Uh, one of the things I have to confront is the ubiquitous nature of technology in the classroom. Uh, one of the things <clears throat> that I have to deal with and confront as, as best I can is how that so many times when students come to class, they have their phone on or they got their iPad on or they got their computer on. And I confront them about this. I say, listen, I want to tell you, there's a couple of reasons, one from Rutgers and one from Stanford that indicates that students that use technology in the classroom have less memory of what they've studied because they're distracted all the time. They're looking over at a ball, ball score and then they're back to the class. So the, I, I tell them, I got to confront you, I got to clarify this for you, that if you use technology, you need to know something, you will not remember half of what was going on in this class. One guy said to me one time, he said, he was goofing around and he he was doing something. He said, uh, excuse me, professor, is what you're saying important? I said, everything I say is important. 
They love me, sort of. Yeah. But they get distracted. Here's another interesting research piece that students that use technology in the classroom, although they'll take more notes, they'll remember less. There is that kind of inscribing on your brain when you write. You ever notice that? That when you write things down, you have a tendency uh, to remember them. So what I've done to confront that, I have what I call a technology etiquette policy. That's a euphemistic way for saying if you bring technology in here, you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> it's called the technology etiquette policy. Here it is. The policy states that if you use computers, cell phones, or tablets during my class, you are welcome to. However, if you do, you must email me one minute after class is over with all of your notes, and I will evaluate whether or not you took notes and were engaged in the process of class, or you will lose 25 points on your next assignment. That's called the technology etiquette. Yeah. The, the university's fixing to adopt it. As I told them, I said, I'm tired of this. Now, it's, it's been funny is when I've done that in class, I've had students look at me. Not, I'm not kidding you like this. Close their laptop. Never bring it back to class. Ever. Now, what I'm trying to do is confront them to clarify some things. To say, look, if you do this, you need to understand what's going on. You're not going to remember as much. You're not going to be able to recall. You won't be able to take as many good notes. And so as a consequence of this, I think it's helpful to them for me to clarify that for them. I think John is trying to clarify. Look here. We're going to start on your outline here last week, confronting to clarify the first error. Dick dealt with that last week. That's the error in 6 and 7. It says, if we say we have fellowship with God, but we walk in darkness, we're lying. And we don't practice the truth. The answer to that is then walk in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Dick did a great job. If you didn't hear it last week, you need to go listen to the recording on that. And so uh, a person asked a question on Socrates. So I want to deal with it here. Here's the question. I had to read it a couple of times to make sure I understood it. <clears throat> Does... Uh, we have fellow, uh, here's here, the clause, if we walk in the light, so this comes out of Socrates, if we walk in the light, does it modify we have fellowship or does it modify the blood of Jesus cleanses? In other words, is our walking in the light connected to Jesus' blood cleansing us? And I wrote this, the matter appears to be the result that as, as we walk in the light, we have both of these realities. We have fellowship with each other and in, a, in conjunction with that, the blood of his son cleanses us. From, I hope I'm answering the question because as I understood it, they were seeking to see is the, if we walk in the light, does it modify one or the other? It looks like to me it modifies them both. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have two consequences. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son is, Dick brought that out last week, is continually cleansing us from all sin. That's interesting there on that. So I, I hope that uh, is uh, uh, somewhat helpful. I want to then get into uh, the next one. And if, if you ask the question and you didn't get back on Socrative here. So let's confront the second error. I think the second error is in verse 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth's not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Now let's, let's talk about here the error. Here he's saying that if we say that we have no sin, now let, let's stop here for a second. I, 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 as I work through this and think about this, I, funny things when, when you hear words like the word sin, um, we, we have in our mind what we think that is. Uh, or, or we have in our, uh, our tradition uh, what people thought. You know, when I was a kid, sinning was drinking and dancing and chewing and not going with the girls who do. And uh, I was worried about that. So, yeah. um, so, so what, let's begin here just for a moment, if we will, on this explanation of the term. If we say we have no sin. Now, the word here that, that John is using is the most common term in the New Testament for sin. It's hamartia, hamartia. It's a, it's a, 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 a kind of comes out of the world of archery, archery, and it means fundamentally to miss the mark. Uh, if you were shooting a bow and arrow, by the way, you can't shoot a bow and arrow. You can only shoot an arrow. Just, just so you're clear on that. Don't you hear people say that? Let's go out and shoot a bow and arrow. You can't shoot a bow. I don't think. Anyway, 13 weeks off, that's what starts getting in my brain. Uh, uh, but it is a term where you're shooting an arrow at a target and you miss it. You don't hit it. Now, that's uh, what we would call the uh, dictionary definition. Uh, and we don't live in a dictionary. Uh, and I wanted to show you here uh, that when, when, when John is saying this, if we say we have no sin, we're going to work that out. But what does that term mean? Okay, miss the mark. That's what that term means. There are other terms that are used, but throughout 1 John, the word sin is used over and over. Miss the mark. What's the mark? Jesus. Jesus, okay. Miss the mark. Can we be like him? Is that what we're supposed to do? I, I want to suggest, and I've said this before, how do you determine what a term means in a book. Here it is. The way you determine, I'll show it to you here on the board uh, real quick. The way you determine how a, what a word means, you go to the dictionary to get the basic, you know, I always said if you want to know, if you think the dictionary is adequate, go look up the word that and see the 36 different definitions of it and try to figure out which one it is. So, so what you do is you, you have the term and you go look it up in a dictionary, theological dictionary, not an English dictionary. Don't look up English words. Go to theological dictionaries or Greek and Hebrew dictionaries, like Blue Letter Bible, uh, Bible Hub, those kind of things. So, so look at that term and look it up. Then what we want to do is we want to go throughout the book that the term is in. <clears throat> so in our case, it's 1 John. Okay? In our case, we're going to look at this term where it occurs in 1 John. Then, if we feel like we need more, uh, if you will, analysis on this term, the next thing we're going to do is same author. Do you remember any of the books that John wrote? Huh? 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Gospel of John, Revelation. So, we would say, how does this author use this term? Because it's the way this author uses it, what we're concerned about here, right? Then, if we think we still need more, I'm just going to, this is a, a methodology here you can use. If we think we need more analysis here, then we're going to go to the same 
genre. Now, the genre here is epistolary or the letters. So we can go from Romans to Revelation or to Jude because we've already looked at Revelation by the same author. So we would look in those, if you will, um, the, that genre, the epistle genre. How is that word used? Are there, are there ways to do that? Then finally, what, what you would do uh, this way is you would go to the same testament. And see, is there, so what I'm saying is, it's not just go to the dictionary. This is the way you analyze how terms are. So what does John say? I want to suggest to you when he says, if we say we have no sin, we no, no sin, uh, we're lying and make, we're deceiving ourselves. If, if, I'm, if I'm right, look over here in 1 John 3. 1 John 3. Because <clears throat> I'm going to the same book. I'm looking here to see, will, will John help us understand what he means, how he's using this term. Because it's pretty I get ubiquitous. I like that. That's the new word for today, okay? So when you, when you go home, use it in a sentence before you go to bed. Okay. In 1 John 3, uh, let's see, I got my notes here. Yeah. Um, he, he says in verse 4, everyone who practices sin practices what? Lawlessness. Because what? Sin is lawlessness. I think this is John's definition. I think that's the one he's working with. Listen now, this is really important because sometimes in these passages, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We can develop what I think is an incorrect sin consciousness if we don't have a good definition. If sin's a mistake or human error, then we're sinful all the time, right? It... it, John's not trying to develop a sin consciousness like you're a dirty, rotten sinner. He's trying to say that if you say that you have none of this, you have not ever done this, you're deceiving yourself. And I, I wrote my notes here. We, we need to understand that sin's not a mistake. It's not an error in judgment. It's not just being human or stupid, which is typically synonymous. No. <clears throat> I mean, I, I hear people often when they get caught Instead of saying, I've sinned, I did something wrong, and I knew it. They'll say, I've made many mistakes. You ever heard this? Usually politicians. <laughs> they get caught red-handed. It's not a sin, it's a mistake. I made a No, the mistake you got is getting caught. <laughs> right? Sin's not a mistake. It's not an error in judgment. It's not being human. It's lawlessness. John Wesley even said it this way. When he talked about sin, he called it sin properly understood. And I think some of us have in our minds that just being, if we make a mistake or we do something dumb or an error in judgment or we hurt somebody's feeling, we didn't mean to, we just didn't know what we were doing or, or, or made a terrible decision without any sense of, oh, I didn't know that, that, that we, ha we start developing this sin consciousness. That's not what John's up to here. John's trying to deal with the real deal. By the way, so if sin is lawlessness, don't raise your hand because I'm afraid somebody will. Okay, <laughs> But I'm going to guess that this morning nobody has broken a law of God this morning. It's too early. It's only 9.50. <laughs> Give you some time. Anybody broken one of the Ten Commandments this morning? Anybody said, you know what? I know that's wrong. I'm going to do it anyway. That's lawlessness. And what John is trying to do is try to define 
that this is not simply humanity being expressed in life. And I'm afraid, I'll just, I'm afraid too many of us have a sin consciousness. We don't feel good about ourselves. We don't feel good about life. And we just think we're rotten to the core. John says, sin is lawlessness. This is properly understood. Properly understood. So when he's saying this, so let's go back to chapter one. So I just, I want to define some terms here because I think far too many of us have a sense of um, brokenness that just our humanity is dirt. That's not what John believes. And I don't think that's what the New Testament teaches. And I don't think we have to live with a sense of guilt and anxiety and fear under life that because we're just human and ignorant and sometimes do stupid stuff and dumb stuff that we're somehow some terrible person. If we could locate to say it's lawlessness. Now, what is the law? Well, typically when we think about this, we think about sin as lawlessness. It's not a mistake. It's, it's the breaking one of the Ten Commandments. It's breaking one of those. That's what lawlessness is. I also think we also should consider that sin as lawlessness, this is where it gets a little more difficult. Um, I, I remember uh, when I was in college, when I began to study uh, this matter about sin and about Jesus and all, I thought, uh, I want to go back to a list. <laughs> because Jesus basically said, all those Ten Commandments are broken down into two. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving your neighbor as yourself. That gets a little tougher. That, that's probably where John's driving to say, look, if you say you have no sin, you don't have any issues here at times, he says, you're, you're, you're deceiving yourself. You're kidding yourself. I, don't, again, don't, I, the older I've got and the longer I've lived in this, the more troubled I am at times about my lack of love. <laughs> you know? Not, not my, I'm, not, I'm not that worried about my behavior. Now. I've got it pretty well figured out, and I'm so tired now, I can't do much anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Think about doing something wrong, go, ah, I'm too tired to do that. <laughs> Takes too much energy. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but not being loving. Yeah, Ellis. Uh, so how do you love and I can't hear you. What? How do I lock? Yeah. He's asking the question for the recording. How do we lump intentional and non-intentional? My, my theological bone system says that sin has to have intention. It, ha- it has to have willfulness in it or it's ignorance. It doesn't mean I don't apologize if I've done something stupid or ignorant, but I have a hard time driving that up to the level of sin because there's not the intention. I think that's where Jesus put it. When he said, if you look upon a woman with the intent, that's a word he used there, to lust, you've committed adultery in your heart already. He, he, he drives it in the intent area. And I think that makes it even more difficult because we can do the right thing on the outside and have the wrong intent on the inside and be, I, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah. 
But I think, I, I think we do our, I'll just say this, I think we develop too much of a sin consciousness if we're too worried that something we did unintentionally is now somehow wrong. I, I got this story, I'll tell you later. Uh, I'll do it. Uh, when I was a pastor in Houston, there was a couple that, I don't remember how I met them, they were a young couple, and they were from Wisconsin. Being in Texas, you thought, what are you doing here? You know? <laughs> But they were sweet kids, sort of. And um, <clears throat> so I, uh, I, uh, I think I led them to Christ or somebody. Anyway, I'm discipling them, spending time with them. And there's just a sweet kid, Barry and Sue. Never forget them. Becky remembers this sweet couple. Barry and Sue. Barry and Sue. Oh, they're great. And we're having a great time. And they're just learning. And they're just like a, you know, just soaking up. Like well, while we're involved in this, it starts occurring to me as they talk, I think, uh, I think they're living together. So we're talking and discussing. I mean, as husband and wife without being married. And I said, uh, hey, I got a question I want to ask you. Just, 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 you know. Again, the thoughts and opinions of the teacher are not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church. It's elders or leadership. And I just asked them, are y'all, y'all living together? They said, yeah. And, and Barry was so, yeah, man, we've loved each other since high school. It's just so wonderful. And I started talking to them a little bit. I said, took them through some scriptures about this. Hebrews and a couple other places. And I'll never forget Barry's response. Hey, well, I'm moving out today. I said, hold it. I don't want you living in a van under a bridge somewhere. You know? The instant he found out or believed what we were talking about was wrong, what did he do? Change. Ellis, that was, there was no intent here. There was no, hey, I know what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. No, 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 no intent here. No intent. And so I just said to him, well, let me help you figure this out. And we figured out a place for him to stay, and they continued to grow and develop spiritually. And I finally married them. I, well, I didn't marry him. I officiated him. <laughs> that two wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't marry him, actually. I know better than that. But I conducted the wedding. And and I've always thought of them as here are two people, they, and they grew up in a church in a, in, in a church that just taught them nothing. They didn't know. They didn't know. And I just thought, God knows the heart of a person. And so John here, I think, is using this idea of lawlessness. Now, now notice, I want to show you a couple. Is that, is that okay? Does that make sense? You don't have to agree with it, but, you know, I got the microphone. No. <laughs> Now, notice here in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin. Now, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little interested in this because uh, in translating it, the, there are two things. Uh, eight is alleging I have no sin, and really ten is saying I've never sinned. It's different. This is the present tense. In the Greek, it says if we say we have no sin, we, we have, it's not a present reality that we can break the law, that we can do what's wrong, then we're, we're deceiving ourselves. It's sort of like a person, well, I can never be tempted with that. Oh, really? You're getting ready here in just a minute. Because once you say, I'm, I'm in, it's impossible for that thing to get me, there's no longer any watchfulness, there's no longer any sense of what I'm doing here, you're, 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 you're going to be toast here in a little bit. So he's simply saying, look, if we say that we have no capacity to sin, we're deceiving ourselves. 
It's the present tense verb here. It, it means this idea that, that we're, we're saying we, there's, there's no need for help here. There, we're deceiving her. There, there's no possibility here. I think John is dealing again with these gnostics that Dick introduced us to last week. Remember, he doesn't like to waste consonants. I'm never going to forget that. The gnostics say they are safe from sin because they're pure spirit. I'm pure spirit, man. Dick told us, told us, helped us with that. I'm pure spirit. I, I don't have sin. Are you kidding me? That's all for all those who have no, not, see, Gnostic means I know. I got, the, I got the increased knowledge here. I don't have to worry about that. You do, but not me. And so John is saying, hold it. If you, if you adopt that platform there, you're saying, I don't have any capacity for this. You're, 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 you're wrong. Now look at the antidote here to clarify. Look what he says. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, notice there, this is, again, he's confronting to clarify this error. The, I, let's, I'm just going to walk us through this. Notice it, if. It's a conditional clause here. If we do this. This is our part, that if we confess. The, the word confess here. It literally means to say the same thing. It's Greek or root. It means to say, logia, to, to say the same thing. It means to agree with God. It means to quit arguing with him about it. Isn't that interesting? It says that if we'll agree with him, he'll forgive us. Because what we end up doing is if we don't have the willingness to, to confess or to agree, what do we do? We justify. You know, I think, I think we're either going to let God justify us or we're going to try to justify ourselves. It's only two possibilities, I think. Either, either we're not going to admit it, we're not going to agree, we're going to argue with God about it and say, well, you know, it's just my temperament. Well, you know, it's just one of those things. Instead of saying, nope, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say the same thing. Some of y'all remember Happy Days before it went on Nickelodeon. <laughs> We're old. Remember, remember when Fonzie was trying to say he was sorry? I'm 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 Couldn't do it, right? <clears throat> couldn't agree with it. Couldn't, couldn't confess it. Couldn't say it. We're like that. I think because I don't think we believe that God is that good. If he'd say, Cliff, if you'll just quit arguing with me about this, if you would just agree with me about this, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to forgive you. If you'll just quit arguing with me about this, quit justifying, quit giving excuses, quit trying to say, yeah, but, and just agree with me. I'll forgive you. If we confess, you know, I, I will tell you this. I probably told you this before, so I'm, I'm old. I don't remember. I'm like Marty. I don't remember what I did last week, but I've, I've been fascinated with this because of several years ago when I was praying about something that I'd done wrong and I'm, conf I'm agreeing with God. I just want you to notice something that's not here. And as I'm doing that, 
I, I sensed, uh, and I don't know how to explain this, and I, you know, I'm not trying to sound mystical or real spiritual here. I'm about as unspiritual as you can get, uh, just hard-headed. And I just sensed as I was praying, this, the Spirit nudged me and said, stop that. And I went like, okay, who is this really? (laughs) Stop that. I thought, stop what? See, what I was doing is I was confessing and agreeing and then asking God to forgive me. It doesn't say that. It, It doesn't say if you'll confess and then ask God to forgive you, he'll forgive you. Look at it. What does it say? If you confess, He will forgive you. See, again, we don't believe God's that good. We really don't. We think He's like us. Wouldn't that be a terror thing? If God's like us, it scares me to death. But, but we add that because we don't realize that what He's trying to say is, Cliff, look, uh, if you'll just admit, agree, acknowledge, agree with me, I'll forgive you. Now, it's interesting here, too, that the word forgive. See, the word sin means to, 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 to miss the mark in, bo- in archery. The word forgive is aphiami, which means it's an archery term as well. This, the term for sin is an archery term, to miss the mark. And the, and the term for forgive is an archery term, which means let it go. It's when a person shoots an arrow, when they do this, they afia me. They let it go. That's the word for forgive. You and I don't let it go, but God lets it go. You and I don't forget it. You and I don't get, let, let it go, but God does. And so both of these terms, the word sin and forgive, come right out of the world of archery. Every Jewish person, every Greek person would understand this and realize the language that's being used here. If you miss the mark in lawlessness, God will afi'ami, he will forgive you, let it go. Anybody but me have a hard time letting it go? I do. Tough time. So we, we confess, we agree with God. We, we don't no longer justify or excuse the matter. We simply say to God, you're right. I'm going to call it what you called it. I love what Martin Luther said when he said this, God will justify the sinner when the sinner justifies God. Think about that. God will justify the sinner when the sinner quits arguing and, and excusing and making answers, God will justify the sinner when the sinner justifies God and say, God, you're right. What you said is the way it is, and I agree with you. He'll forgive us. And so, so instead of going around life saying, well, you know, I, I don't have any sin. I'm, I'm, I'm perfect. I got it. He's saying, what you need to do, Cliff, is when it, if it, when it ha- confess it and deal with it. Confess it. Agree. The other thing, confession, I didn't say this, but it's not my notes, but it's in my head. Uh, Confession also doesn't mean to promise anything. Confession doesn't mean to cry. Confession doesn't mean to feel bad. Confession doesn't mean that you feel like a piece of dirt. Confession means you just say, you're right on this one. And I'm not. And I agree with you. 
For some of us in this room, I'm going to tell you, the hardest thing for us to do, after we get past the barrier of finally admitting what we've done, once we get past that barrier, which for some of us is hard because we just have these perfectionistic tendencies, the next thing hard is to believe that he actually does it. That's the hard part. Are you kidding me? Just, 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 just confess. And he really will. I had a friend of mine when I was talking about this years ago, kind of a smart aleck person, said to me one time when I was talking about this, we're dealing with this. See, what's our part? Verse 9, confess. What's God's part? Forgive and cleanse. Notice that. And we were talking about confessing something again over and over because we feel bad about it, you know. Takes about 28 confessions now, you know, before you feel like God really forgives you. And this guy said to me, What your problem is this, you think you're more noble than God is. Think about it. You think you're more noble than God is. You did your part, you confessed it, but you doubt if God will do his part. You think you're more noble. I told you he's a smart aleck. I want to just slap him. In Jesus' name. No. <laughs> that can't be done, by the way. Let me say it again. It's not. I'm not just kidding. But, but the idea that, that, that we're more noble than his. How many of you, don't answer this, how many of you have confessed over and over and over and over and over and over the same thing? Why? Because we don't believe God's that good. Listen, John's wanting you to have some confidence here. He's wanting me to have some confidence. I've written these things that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know this because of who he is. You can know this. So look here. Let's go again. I'm, I'm just going slow. What else is new? This may be two weeks. Dick and I talked on Thursday. <laughs> so we'll see. Notice, when we confess, what is he? Faithful. You, know, you can go look that word up, but it's pretty good translation here. He can't be depended on. The word faithful means dependable. He, he, he can be depended on. What? To, he, can be, he, he is faithful to be, and he's righteous. He's doing the right thing. Why? Because you did what he said. Righteous just means right, be, do the right thing. That when you confess or I confess, when we agree, he's dependable, faithful, you can count on it, and he's righteous or he's in the right. He's now able to, the right thing, this is what's crazy, the right thing for him to do is now forgive. That's crazy. Think about how this swept the Roman Empire when people found out there was a God like this. That there was a God who would take your stuff and your failure and your sin and say, if you'll just quit arguing with me about it, I can be depended on to do the right thing, which is to forgive. Let it go. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To make us pure. To cleanse us. Here's what I wonder for you and me. Uh, let, me, give you, let, me let me read you something like this. Uh, if you want to, just to, to support this, uh, turn to your table of content. You're going to have to on this one, okay? It's Micah, okay? Yeah, it's close to the book of Clephiticus, but uh, it's in Micah, toward the end, one of the minor prophets. 
I'd hate to go around life knowing I was a minor prophet, you know? 879. 879 in my Bible. Here's an Old Testament passage that when I was working through this, I thought, oh my, this, this is right on with that. In chapter 7, <clears throat> I'm just going to kind of end with this because we got another error to deal with next week. Uh, in Micah chapter 7, this is the verse I think of when I think about it. If you'll confess, he can be depended on to forgive and cleanse. Listen to me now. All unrighteousness. There's nothing in there. There's nothing left. He's cleansed you from all unrighteousness. You, you believe that? Sometimes it's hard to believe, isn't it? But I've done this. And I've been that. This is what the Bible says. So Micah, one of those Testament prophets, in chapter 7, records these words in verse 18. Who is a God like you? Who pardons iniquity, passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. What is God like? Last part of that verse, 18. What, what, what does God like? What does he delight in? Huh? Unchanging. He doesn't delight in punishment. He doesn't delight in retribution. He delights in unchanging love. Uh, the Hebrew word there uh, is a, uh, it's C H uh, E S E D, but it's pronounced chesed. It's not, you're going to spit on somebody. Chesed. I like that. You just, when people are reading Hebrew, you better get back. But it's the, it's, it's the word of covenant. Love. God delights in covenant love. You know, I've told Becky this, and I'll embarrass her, and I'll get forgiven later, but it's okay. <laughs> I, I've said her this, and, I, and it's as serious to me as anything I know, that nobody in my life has ever loved me like her. Not even my parents. Maybe they did, and I didn't understand it. But I know that I've been not that easy to live with. I'm a delightful person. <laughs> but I hadn't always been this delightful. <laughs> Becky had to raise me. But I've said to her this, and you know, I, I don't, I'm not trying to be dramatic or melodramatic, but I've just said this. If God loves me just as much as you do, I'll be okay. And, and I, I know that as a theologian and as a Christian, that God loves me more than that. I'm just thankful that I've had that. But you know, here's the sad thing. A lot of people have never had that kind of love. They, they've never known it. Is it any wonder then that we have trouble believing it? That we've, we've never experienced it. We've never seen it. It's never happened. We, we've been betrayed. We've had people run over us. Is, is it any wonder then that people have trouble with it? I, I'm not. It doesn't surprise me. But this is the gospel. Who is a God like you? You know what the answer to that is? Nobody. 
Who's a God like you? Who is a God like you who passes over pardon and pardons iniquity? By the way, the word iniquity there isn't just missing the mark. It means to be crooked and messed up. <laughs> that's a loose translation of the Hebrew. But that's what iniquity means. It doesn't mean you just missed the mark. It means you're goofed up and crooked and messed up. Who passes over the rebellious acts of people who did it and knew it. He doesn't retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, wow, what God delights in. Remember that song? There is none like you. Remember it? There used to be an old song we'd sing called There is None Like You. I remember the song of Wesley, and I'll end with this. Maybe you'll go look it up if you want to. It's called Arise My Soul, Arise. I listen to it pretty often. It's on my phone, but I remember when it says this, Arise my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in thy behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. Five bleeding wounds he bears for me on Calvary. They pour effectual prayer. They strongly plead for me. Forgive, 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 they cry. Forgive, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. Wesley knew the power of this. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in thy behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written in his hands. My name. So here's what I want you to do this week. I got another application. I just want to do this one. I want you to write the name of Jesus in your hand somewhere. Right here. Just put the word Jesus to remind you that you're written in his hands. And then, what if this week you consciously agree with someone about a matter? And remember, when you do this, this is what God seeks from us and will forgive you. Just ask us to agree. Just agree. Quit arguing. Quit fighting. So write Jesus' name in your hand throughout the week. When you look at it, you just remember your name is written on his hands. Or as you agree with someone, just let it remind you. You know what? I agreed with them. We had a talking about football. We talked about work, whatever. But I agreed with them. That's the same thing. That when you do that with Jesus, he'll forgive you. He'll forgive me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we have a hard time believing that you're that good. We need your help. And I'm convinced that the great apostle John here told us, I'm writing this so you'll have confidence that you have eternal life. Would you take these verses and these ideas, drive them deep in our soul to avoid the error that John is trying to help us avoid by knowing that if we would just be honest and open and agree with you that you'd forgive all our sins and all our unrighteousness that we could live confidently, that we have eternal life 
because of what you have done. So help us this week. For some of us, it's a real challenge. It's a real journey for some of us. So help us. And for others of us that it isn't as hard, help us to be willing to share this with someone else who may struggle, who may feel that they just can't ever measure up. Lord Jesus, we want to be able to live our lives knowing we have eternal life. Thank you for that gift that only you could give. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. We'll do 10 to 2-2 next week.